This is the Vandy Sports Podcast on the 440 Sports Network, and I'm your host, Billy Derrick. This week's Vanderbilt football pregame show is brought to you by The Wash House, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, Sutherland and & Belk, and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Topics on today's show, as well as this season's baseball content, are presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro. A partnership began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee, and they now serve Southern Kentucky, Northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and North Georgia. Today, they supply grocery stores, convenience stores, and others with purity products, as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen ice cream. Go get your moose tracks today, and for more information, visit their website at mpmci.com. On today's show, we will preview Vanderbilt and UNLV. The Commodores head to Vegas for a 6 o'clock kickoff. You can watch it on the CBS Sports Network. I will also answer your mailbag questions, last-minute mailbag questions, so looking forward to getting to those. First segment, we'll check in, just like we always do, a weekly tradition. Joey Dwyer, writer for VadiSports.com, will get to his five things to watch for. A lot of interesting topics there. Uh, with the quarterback position, snap count uh, analysis, A.J. Swan's decision-making. So we'll dive into all that with Joey Dwyer. And then Andrew Allegretta, the play-by-play voice of the Vanderbilt Radio Network with Norman Jordan and Kevin Ingram. Their uh, pregame coverage starts at 4.30 Central Time on 102.5 The Game in Nashville. Uh, they'll be in Vegas, but you can listen to them on 102.5 here in Nashville Talked with Andrew about the mindset of the team, the mood heading into the trip to Vegas, and uh, what Vanderbilt has to clean up, uh, specifically defensively, uh, heading into this matchup with the UNLV before Kentucky next week at home. And then lastly, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, joins me to break down the running Rebels and their offense led by quarterback Doug Brumfield and and uh, the mindset of the running Rebels heading into this matchup led by Barry Odom. A familiar face. He's played Vanderbilt three times, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, what UNLV gives uh, gives Vanderbilt in terms of their offensive looks. We dove into all that with Caleb Herring. He's also the color analyst of uh, the UNLV Sports Radio Network, so uh, getting a little bit of taste of the, the Rebels with Caleb. But first, today's news is brought to you by The Wash House, which is also our presenting sponsor for basketball season. Are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time to do the things that you truly enjoy? Let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry and their professional attendance can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh and clean laundry ready to be put away. Log on to washhouseclean.com. Again, that's washhouseclean.com. Or stop in today and get your time back. Today's news is that the Commodores are headed to Vegas. Vanderbilt and UNLV, Saturday night, 6 o'clock kickoff. Again, you can watch it on the CBS Sports Network and make sure you have that in your, your TV package, right? CBS Sports Network is not included in every TV package. Uh, if you have YouTube TV, you should be fine. If you've got anything else, I think you've got to look into that TV package and you may have to purchase uh, that additional channel. I know there were some, there were some issues last week with the ACC network. Uh, so be sure you check that and make sure CBS Sports Network is in your package. This is just the second meeting 
in program history for Vanderbilt and UNLV. I think you all remember the last time the Rebels and the Commodores got together. It was back in 2019 under Coach Mason. That resulted in an embarrassing 34-10 to loss uh, for the Commodores. Just very poor showing. I don't even really remember much about that matchup. But what I do know is that Clark Lee is working hard to make sure that doesn't happen again. They're on the road, indoors, translucent roof is what they call. Um, so you should be able to avoid some weather delays. We'll get to the weather here in a second. But this is the first time Vanderbilt is playing in the state of Nevada. I thought that was interesting that Vanderbilt has never played in the state of Nevada other than this Saturday night. So Vanderbilt and UNLV get going 6 o'clock. UNLV is coming off a 35-7 to loss at Michigan, and their first game of the season was against Bryant, the Bryant Bulldogs, an FCS team. So it's really hard to gauge what to expect with, with, with this UNLV team. Clark Lee talked about uh, their offense on Tuesday. He said they are, they're a run-first offense. They will utilize two running backs on the field at once. It's basically a modern version of the triple option. So they will run the football. Uh, Brumfield, their quarterback, is is not a prolific passer by any means, but he's an athletic kid. He's 6'6", so he's big, and he works well uh, in that running scheme. So it'll be interesting to see what UNLV gives Vanderbilt offensively in terms of their looks. Weather-wise, clear skies with a low of 72. Thank the heavens, no rain forecasted in the area, at least right now. Knock on wood, everybody. Uh, but the low is 72, so it should be uh, nice and... Uh, Nice and cool there. Not, I wouldn't say cool, but you know, definitely not uh, not too humid there uh, in uh, in Vegas during UNLV season opener against Bryant. Though I, I hate saying this, but I have to. There's already been two weather delays in Vanderbilt games this this year. We don't need any more. But the roof of Allegiant Stadium began to leak during that game due to heavy rain outside. So it's not out of the equation. But we should be fine. We should be all good to go uh, for Vanderbilt and UNLV. Also, some injury news. Junior Uzibu is day-to-day, according to Clark Lee. I think it's pointing in a good direction for him at that right tackle spot. If not, it'll be Grayson Morgan again. We'll see if Uzibu is is able to go. Savion Riley is also day-to-day, according to Clark Lee on Tuesday. So uh, we'll see if Riley is able to go. That's a guy they would would, uh, definitely need on the field. Derricky Wright is available. He's a full go. He was a full go against Wake Forest. He didn't look 100%. Uh, but again, they, they need to Ricky Wright out there, and, and that will certainly be something to watch. In terms of Christian James, I thought it was interesting how Clark Lee said he, he should be back for SEC play. Now, maybe that's not Kentucky, but boy, they, uh, they need some help uh, there on the defensive line in terms of uh, some of the pass rush. Clark Lee also said that Savion Riley is out. Um, so just got that update. So I said he's he's day to day. He is he is officially out this weekend. Junior Uzibu is questionable uh, due to an injury, and B.J. Anderson, cornerback, didn't practice today due to an illness, but his unavail but his availability is unclear. So it's not sounding good for B.J. Anderson, one of Vanderbilt's starting corners. That could mean more for Martell Height, Trudel Berry, and Tyson Russell as well. Maybe a little a little bit of Taco Wright in there as well. So. That's the injury report. Again, Vanderbilt and UNLV kick off 6 o'clock Saturday night. Before we get to our guests, let's get to your last-minute mailbag questions. We've got a few to get to today. First one comes from Papa Hick for VU. 
have you and Joey started the 1,973 mile trek to Vegas yet? Just a straight shot down I-40. No, we have not. We're not making the trip to Vegas. Unfortunately not. Yeah, I honestly, I wish we could. That'd be fun. I feel like we'd probably be distracted uh, on Saturday, but it's a night kickoff. We could, we, we'd probably have time to do some stuff, but no, I, I made a joke with Joey that, uh, that, that we would be going, but no, we are not, uh, not, not in the funds uh, quite yet. Godors94 asks, UNLV seems like a strange and distant team to be playing. Why did we have a home-and-home home series? It's a great question. I've wondered the same thing. I don't think Vanderbilt should ever be traveling to schools like Colorado State, Georgia State, which I think is next year. UNLV, you should never be traveling um, there. I, 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 this, this was a Coach Mason decision uh, to, to start this home-and-home home with UNLV. Um, obviously, it's a good opportunity for these players to, to go play in an NFL stadium. Some of these guys won't ever pl- get the chance to play in an NFL stadium. Um, but Allegiant Stadium, it's beautiful. Uh, should be should be fun for them to be able to play. But um, I don't know the reasoning why they started the home-and-home, home, but I know it was a Coach Mason uh, decision. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Vanderbilt in the run and Rebels Saturday night. Knoxville door 94, last one here. When looking at the schedule – before the season, most people had this penciled in as a W. With how the season has gone so far, now some are skeptical. How does Vanderbilt win and get back on track, and what happens if they lose? It's a good question. Um, you ask how Vanderbilt wins. I think they win by taking care of the football and valuing the football, fighting for the football. Right? You know, there's an old saying. You know, if if the football was a thousand dollars. Would you treat it differently than than if it was just a football? Yes, everybody would. It's $1,000, right? Vanderbilt needs to start valuing the football offensively, defensively, and on special teams, right? Will Shepard's muffed muffed punt should never happen, right? That's a mistake that should never happen. Defensively, arm tackling, right? Value the football, right? Get, Get the tackler down who has the football. Uh, I think defensively, you know, forcing turnovers, right? Treat the football like it's it's $1,000 or a million dollars, a jackpot of money. I think that's something Vanderbilt's been working on this week. Offensively, A.J. Swan has to make smarter decisions. It, it just, it is what it is. Um, I, I think I think for Vanderbilt, there's a lot on his shoulders uh, in terms of protecting the football, but you don't want him to get gun shy. That's the thing about A.J. Swan, right? You want him to still take some chances and you're going to get some interceptions. You just are. Uh, he's still a sophomore uh, making his ninth start, I think, against UNLV. Um, could be the eighth, though. I think it's the ninth. Um, and and you know, he's going to make mistakes. But I think for Vanderbilt to win, there's a lot on Swan's shoulders. So he's got to be better. He, he, just, he has to be better. I think the offensive line has to be better in run blocking. Uh, the receivers, um, I think, can do even more in terms of simply getting open. Uh, I know this has been really oversimplified, but as a whole, Vanderbilt just has to be better. They they have not played their level of football all season, I don't think. I don't think they've played. I think they I thought they played Vanderbilt football in the second half against Alabama A&M, but other than that, I don't think we've seen the true Vanderbilt football um that we've that were that we thought we were going to get this year. I think this UNLV game is 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 a chance for them to do that, to simply play Vanderbilt football and dominate an opponent that they should dominate. What happens if they lose? Whew. I don't think Vanderbilt fans even want to think about what would happen if they lose. They would be 2-2. Two and two. Obviously, your chances of a bowl game 
are deeply in jeopardy. Uh, I mean, you, you at that point you would have to win four SEC games to get to get to a bowl game, which, yeah, I mean, let's face it, that's that doesn't seem like it's likely with, with this group. Uh, it's possible, but not likely. So if they lose, there are some serious issues, and I would even start to question a lot of the buy-in. Um, again, I'm not even thinking about doing that. I don't think we'll be doing that after UNLV. I think Vanderbilt wins. Uh, but there would be some serious, serious issues if Vanderbilt uh, loses to UNLV. Uh, because think about the last time you would put yourself basically back to 2019. right? Vanderbilt should never lose to UNLV uh, in any sport. Right, but 2019 it was 34 to 10, 34 to 10. Vanderbilt got dominated, so you have to bounce back from that, and you have to show that you have you have grown as a program. So if they lose, I don't even want to think about what would happen. I know what the fans would say. Uh, I know, I know what the national perception would be. So for Vanderbilt, you can avoid that by simply going to Vegas and taking care of business in a city that has some distractions. So that's another thing to watch. Hopefully Vanderbilt, uh, you know, is not distracted. They're not staying on the strip. I think that was initially recommended to Clerkley and the staff. And they said, "Uh, uh-uh. no, we are not staying on the strip. Uh, we're staying in Henderson, Nevada. I think that's where Vanderbilt is staying. So that does it for the first segment. Vanderbilt UNLV Saturday, six o'clock kickoff on the CBS sports network coming up. What to watch for with Joey Dwyer. And then Andrew Allegretta, the play-by-play voice for Vanderbilt football. And then to close it out, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback from 2009 to 2013, also the color analyst of the UNLV Sports Radio Network. So stay tuned. But coming up, Mr. Joey Dwyer. As usual, kicking off the Vandy Sports pregame show with what to watch for with Joey Dwyer, one of our proud uh, Vanderbilt staff writers here on VandySports.com. Joey Vanderbilt travels to Las Vegas for a matchup with the running rebels of UNLV familiar face, uh, former Missouri head coach, Barry Odom. I think that's something to, to watch and and something I definitely want to get to with you. Um, but for Vanderbilt, let's start with putting four quarters together. And again, if you haven't checked out Joey's piece, five things to watch for on VandySports.com, go check it out. We mentioned this after the postgame show, Joey, we said Vanderbilt has yet to put four quarters together. Uh, you mentioned how against Hawaii, it was a poor fourth quarter. They let the Rainbow Warriors get back in it, and it was it was a sluggish first half, as you said, against Wake Forest. Um, and so Vanderbilt has they've played well for halves, you know they they've played well for quarters, but not four quarters. And and Joey, that's something we're watching. If they can put four quarters together, I think there's potential for this to be a dominant victory. But if they don't, the running Rebels will hang in there and and they'll compete. Right. I think it's a team that Vanderbilt's better than, but it's also not a team that Vanderbilt can beat <clears throat> sleepwalking and it can't beat it with some of the performances it has had in the past. Wake Forest comes to mind as well. A game where Vanderbilt turned it over, missed tackles, just made a bunch of mental errors, muffed a punt for a touchdown. Can't happen against UNLV if you want to win, but also <clears throat> you don't have to play perfect like you would have had to in order to beat Wake Forest. It just needs to be a consistent four-quarter effort, and I think Vanderbilt's capable of that, but it hasn't shown us that throughout. I think learning how to win is a big theme for this team. Corkley mentioned that Tuesday. Billy, maybe he was uh, watching our post-game show because we talked about that a lot, but Corkley <laughs> uh, mentioned that, and it feels like that's applicable for this team. It's a talented team, but it has to put a full game together, and it has to learn how to come out of a win even when it doesn't have its best, and that hasn't happened to this point. 
Joey, let's go to the offensive line now. After the game, Bradley Ashmore told us that you know we were poor. Our, our, it was a poor showing today uh, for the offensive line against Wake Forest, and um, I don't even know if I would have described it as poor. Now, I, I think you know AJ Swan was was rushed occasionally, but I, I thought the pass protection was was okay. You know, run blocking, of course, still has to improve, but that's the standard that that Coach Blazek has imposed on these guys, right? They they. You can't have a poor showing at Vanderbilt, right? And you can't have a poor showing against UNLV uh, because if you do, they will, like I said, they will compete. The theme of, of Saturday night, Joey, if you let UNLV stay in it, they will compete and they can win this game. I, I want to try to get that out there too. And the offensive line is a big part of preventing UNLV from from staying in this game. Right. I think really just limiting UNLV's playmakers will be a big thing. In terms of the offensive line, UNLV only got one sack through two games, so I have some optimism mm. for the offensive line that it can do that and kind of slow down UNLV's pass rush. I don't think UNLV has really made a whole lot of impact in other ways on the defensive line as well, so it feels like this could be a bounce-back game for Vanderbilt's offensive line. It felt like Hawaii could have been a good game for that offensive line, and so could Alabama a and though. And we haven't seen a great performance out of it yet, so I'm tempering my expectations for the offensive line, but it does feel like kind of a get-right spot here for it i think that's the thing to watch generally with this team is just how the line of scrimmage <clears throat> comes together first on the offensive line and then on the defensive line as well both have been kind of disappointing also looking into the defensive line's playing time to thomas line of zunk didn't play a whole lot throughout the way forest game but graded mm-hmm. out a little bit better than clifton and lee so it'll be interesting to see if there's a shift there the corners are want to get the talk but the defensive line is really where this thing has to come together didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Saturday outside of uh, Darren Agu, so, and he didn't even get a sack. C.J. Taylor was the guy who got the two mm-hmm. sacks. That was off-generated rushes, so you got to be able to get some pressure off of kind of your base sets, and Vanderbilt hasn't been able to do that thus far. Back to the offensive line, though. Feels like a game that could be a bounce-back spot, but I don't know if we've seen that this group is capable of kind of bouncing back yet because it hasn't had a game that really it's proud of thus far. Joey, can Vanderbilt stop the run? That, that's the next question. Wake Forest ran for 288 yards, and in the fourth quarter, it really felt like you know, they imposed their will and just sort of wore down Vanderbilt's defense. Uh, there was a lot of arm tackling. Um, you know, They had guys in position, but you got to finish the play. Uh, I mean, the, you know, I, I went back and watched the game against Wake Forest, and you know, they had guys in position. You know, they, they were coached well in this game. They just didn't execute, right? They, they could not finish on the the Demon Deacons running backs and credit to Demon Claiborne and and Tate Carney they they ran well for the Demon Deacons but Vanderbilt can be better and and that's what you hinted at in your piece uh, and you said UNLV might be a good opponent to sort of get this this tackling situation fixed well it's a better opponent than Kentucky with Ray Davis cuz he's going to make you pay if you can't tackle UNLV mm-hmm. I think is slightly easier but they'll run some two back sets that's what Clark Lee mentioned that their offense is kind of based off of so you'll see a lot of running plays you'll see a lot of interesting personnel in the backfield and maybe interesting handoffs their quarterback can run it a little bit too so it's going to be important that Vanderbilt can stop the run that'll lead to easier stopping of the pass obviously and it feels like this is kind of a game where it can do that as well and maybe prove that it can do it because it it did for the first two games Wake Forest was a huge step back in that department I thought stopping the run was a bit of a strength for them maybe it was just because of the opponents in the first two games. But that was something the defense could hang its hat on through two games. Wasn't able to do that after Saturday. And I felt like Clark Lee thought he was a little more confident in that run defense going into that game than 
kind of was proven on Saturday. It felt like he wanted Wake Forest to run it and was interested to see if his group was capable up front and thought it was and really proved not to be on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see if that group can bounce back. Billy, they're going to have to really lock in before Kentucky, though, and before some of these SEC opponents that can really make you pay. Ray Davis is not a guy you can arm tackle on or Mm -mm. try to punch the ball out of 30 yards down the field like Ricky Wright did. Have to get him down, and Vanderbilt has to improve its fundamentals there. Has to improve um, its effort as well, I think, and sometimes. (laughs) And that'll be a key for the Commodores as they try to slow down UNLV's offense, especially with a running quarterback. Yeah, and I think Joey Clarkley commented on it after the game, right after the game, and then in the in the Tuesday press conference. And I think there was a little bit of a misconception, at least with Vanderbilt fans, in his wording. Um, he didn't say, you know, the point of of the Wake Forest game plan was to force them to run the football, right? To to play, um, you know, to play differently than they did a year ago, right? And, and they did. They they forced them to run the football, but you know, you can't have arm tackles when the plan is to is to keep everything in front of you, uh, right? And Clark Lee mentioned that uh, th- it wasn't to let them run the football and let them run for 288 yards. You know, the in, in that formula to win, it was 150 or 175 yards. That would have been, you know, it's not a great day, but that would be a that would have been a better defensive day than 288 rushing yards. So I think that's something I wanted to get out there just, just because I think there was a little bit of confusion uh, from Vanderbilt fans there and what Clark Lee said. Joey, also defensively, let's go to corner. This is the the fourth thing to watch for you. We've gotten a ton of questions about the corner position on the board and the podcast, and obviously fans are frustrated with uh, with the way the corners played on Saturday and really throughout the season. Uh, B.J. Anderson, you mentioned, was the lowest graded corner, but Joey, I, you know, we've seen him play well. We've seen him play a lot better. Uh, he was great. He graded out a lot higher against Hawaii and Alabama A and M. I would expect him to play a lot better. Um, but what Vanderbilt has to do as a unit is I think have let's play well at the same time, right? Let, let's get all, you know, all if you could get all four corners, Height, Anderson, Russell, and Barry playing well, I think this unit could be solid, you know. But you have a couple of guys that are inexperienced and a couple of veterans, um, you know, that have sort of had an uphill climb to start the season. So how is playing time at cornerback? And you mentioned here on the D-line allocated. Um, I don't know if you have the the snap percentages there from from Pro Football Focus memorized. I know Chris does a good job of that, but um, Joey, do you think much changes at, at the corner position? And then defensively, um, what do you see there? Yeah, I think it's a proven game for BJ Anderson in particular. I think that's a guy mm-hmm. <clears throat> who's played well in the past, but even though he's an old guy, really hasn't proven that he can be a guy who can consistently give you playing time in SEC play and be effective. This is his chance to kind of prove that, hey, I'm still the guy in that room despite having a bad game. Otherwise, I think you look into maybe changing up some playing time. But right now, I think it's B.J. Anderson, it's Trudeau Berry, Tyson Russell, Martel Height. Maybe in that order, maybe not. Trudeau Berry snapped the second most. I mean, B.J. Anderson snapped like 62 snaps on Saturday. Berry was at like 31. I think Russell was 28. Height was 27. I wonder how inflated Barry's numbers are by it not being a close game at the end and then just wanting to get him on the field. But I would think Anderson still gets the most reps, maybe not by as many this week. And then the rest is kind of a toss-up. It's a prove-it week for B.J. Anderson. It's a prove-it week for the rest of this cornerback room, though. 
I wouldn't say that this game is going to determine playing time for Kentucky in terms of like B.J. Anderson won't play if he has a bad game this weekend. But it's certainly going to be a factor in terms of who's out snapping who moving forward. I'm interested to see, though, like the board has mentioned time and time again, uh, where the snaps are allocated this week. Is it Tyson Russell and B.J. Anderson primarily? Or does Vanderbilt turn to its younger guys with Trudeau Berry and Martel Height? Height didn't grade out super well this weekend. Berry graded out as their best corner. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where all that looks moving forward. And uh, I think we'll get some answers to that Saturday, not only by snap counts and grades, but uh, as well by what we see on the field with the eye test. And in your snap counts piece, which has been awesome, that those have been really great. I think Vanderbilt fans have enjoyed reading those. You mentioned how the playing time at cornerback went in this order. Anderson, Barry, Russell, Height. So Trudeau Barry getting more snaps than Tyson Russell was surprising, but you also said how Martell Height uh, getting the fewest snaps uh, out, of, out of all four of those corners was surprising. So it doesn't really feel like there's any rhyme or reason um, they're simply, you know, before the games, and I've, I've, I've heard this about this staff, before the games, they will allocate the, the snap counts, right? They, it, this is not a read and react situation throughout the game. So I think that's something fans need to understand as well, right? You know, just because B.J. Anderson gets beat deep, yes, Clark Lee can make an adjustment there if he absolutely wants to and has to, but that's rare, right? Before the game, they set these, you know, when a guy's going to play, and, and how many snaps he gets. Now, of course, they make adjustments, right? It, you know, this is college football. You're not gonna, you're not gonna always play to your, you know, your strategy in in these playing times. But I think another thing to watch, Joey, is Dericky Wright. He was a full go against Wake Forest, and 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 what a warrior, man. Clark Lee, uh, com- you know, commented about that and how he was able to stick it out, but he was not a hundred percent. Um, it, I think it was pretty obvious that that he was he was jogging around at you know 75, 80 percent. Um, but just him being out there w- was big, you know, him with his experience. Joey, I know you've got uh, you've got the the presser, the Thursday presser that that you're about to head off to as we record this um, on a Thursday morning. You know, with the Ricky, d- it, did that hurt them on on Saturday? You think against Wake Forest that that he was maybe not a hundred percent, at least from your perspective, and and heading into UNLV, you know, do you envision him being maybe up to more like a ninety percent? Because I, at least from what I saw, he was obviously not a hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think he was a hundred percent either. I don't know how much it affected them though. I think Ricky Wright was one of their highest graded defensive players, maybe within the top five or seven. And you mentioned the the one play where the the punch, right? That was really right. the only. I mean, <laughs> that that might have affected him, but again, maybe maybe nothing else. Right. I think that play is one that I turned to in particular just because he was trying to kind of use his arms there instead of his legs. Maybe at that point of the game, he was favoring one leg a little bit over the other. He was hobbling a little bit, and we hadn't really picked it up until that point. So obviously of note, I would think Ricky Wright, if he went hundred if he went all week last week, was not on a snap count, I think he'll be fine this week. Uh, and I think he's probably a little bit better than he was. I don't know if he's practicing at, at all this week or how much he's practicing, but he'll be active and he'll be a factor for Vanderbilt, whether he's 75% or whether he's 100%. Joey, one more thing on defense here. The, the defense had 78 snaps. That that's a that's a big number, and that needs to be uh, decreased to at least 10. 
I think if you get to, you know, 68 range, you know, mid 60s against UNLV, maybe even lower than that, I think that's where you want to be if, if you're Vanderbilt. Uh, lastly here, Joey, does Vanderbilt do the small things well is is what you ask. And, you know, we had a comment uh, in our postgame show referring to that, right, that Vanderbilt did not do the small things well uh, against Wake, Wake Forest. Things like catching a punt and not fumbling. Right. That that's that's a small thing that that Will Shepard failed to do. And that cost them dearly in that first half. That was such a huge swing, not just a point swing, but an emotional swing for that team. And, and so, you know, uh, there was a lack of focus against Wake Forest. So in that question, Joey, I think there's there's that focus element. Right. And And you cannot take plays off. So special teams, I think adds to that right special teams is a, is the smaller of the three units right you got to do the small things where well they're on special teams so what are you looking for on saturday you know specific small things that Vanderbilt has to do well uh, to beat UNLV Billy special teams make special teams and uh I say that jokingly but it's true Vanderbilt in this first it is true completely dominated the special teams battle I think uh there was a lot of A's given out in terms of grades to the special teams in the first two weeks, last week, obviously not the case. A lot of poor play on special teams. And uh, even with Hayball putting it inside the five-yard line and Vanderbilt not being able to get it, that's a small thing that kind of turned to is letting that ball bounce in the end zone versus pinning Wake Forest or pinning Alabama A&M deep. Feels like that's something to watch, just winning the field position game. Turnovers feel like a bigger thing rather than a small thing, but I think that kind of fits into that category as well. feels like Vanderbilt just kind of has to clean up its total effort, has to play for four quarters, and Clark Lee all season has brought up doing the small things well. It hasn't really resonated with his team to this point outside of maybe Alabama A&M, and it feels like that's the reason why they blew out Alabama A&M versus letting them stay close in that game is doing the small things well and having intensity for four quarters, and I would – be interested to see this weekend if Vanderbilt kind of wakes up and uh, after getting punched in the face, has that message resonate with them a little bit more rather than just relying on talent and um, maybe having that lack of focus at times. Vanderbilt and UNLV, 6 o'clock kickoff on the CBS Sports Network. Joey, we got a question. I asked for last-minute mailbag questions. We got a question uh, on uh, on the mailbag. Have you and Joey started the nearly 2,000-mile trek to Vegas yet? Just it's just a straight shot down I forty if you want if you want Joe I mean I it's up to you man it's I'm I'm leaving it up to you um you know I'm really busy <laughs> that day Billy I can't make it all right I'll just I'll just go alone then yeah that's a great <laughs> idea Joey Dwyer everybody Vanderbilt sports uh, writer great pieces here to start the football season he's got defensive and offensive snap counts uh, and grades obviously is five things to watch for he's got. Three pieces going out after every game. Last minute thoughts before games, post game show. Uh, Joey, the uh, the busiest man in uh, in sports media here in Nashville. Joey, thanks for taking the time and uh, enjoy your weekend. Yeah, we get some basketball recruiting in there too. Don't forget that, Billy. Michael Robinson. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Stay tuned. Andrew Allegretta, play-by-play voice of the Vanderbilt Radio Network for football alongside Norman Jordan. You can hear him on 102.5 The Game and also on uh, the the Vanderbilt Athletics app on the website. A lot of different ways you can hear Andrew. Andrew, let's start. Obviously, Vanderbilt is headed to Vegas 
you guys will be there live on site uh, at Allegiant Stadium. Hopefully, no weather delays. Um, but let's. <laughs> I did. I saw your with... tweet. I saw your tweet. There was there that didn't cause a delay, did it? The the leak in the roof <laughs> of a two billion dollar stadium. So yes, that there was a leak in the roof because of a severe downpour of rain. So did it delay guess, the game? Yes, it did. I couldn't believe it when I we our the UNLV uh, guest that we're having on color analyst um, Caleb Herring, who actually is joining us. He told me that. So great. I've been there before. Yeah. I did a game at Virginia Tech one time uh, where there was so much snow on the roof of Castle Coliseum that it leaked through. But that building was built in the 1950s, not <laughs> exactly. like a year or two ago worth two billion dollars. Yeah. Knock on wood for that. We, we do not need another weather delay. Certainly not. But Andrew Wake Forest, I don't want to harp too much on it. But what did you see? Uh, obviously, we, we saw some tackling issues. We saw some sloppy play and some mistakes. But uh, what stood out to you the most uh, about how Vanderbilt just couldn't couldn't really gain their footing in, in that one? Well, the positive version of the spin was it's a team that cares. Now, the negative version of the spin is the fact that they care and they aren't quite in the moment enough to care within control, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they cared to a level that probably got them away from playing uh, clean football, playing within themselves, as Clark would say, playing toward an identity. Um, it's no secret, right? Um, Vanderbilt's... I don't want to just say that they beat themselves because the implication is without any mistakes, 100% they would have beaten Wake Forest. I'm not sure that that's true, but without mistakes right. or significantly reducing the mistakes, it would have been right down to the finish line. I think one of the things, Billy, that I saw was the fact that, and if you're going to compete in the SEC, it's got to be this way. But no part of me felt like there was a talent mismatch with Wake Forest. And that's a good Wake Forest team right now, right? Like that mm -hmm. is a team that competes for the ACC championship. Again, if you're going to be in the SEC, you can't have a talent gap even toward the better side of the ACC. I get that. Uh, but I didn't see a talent gap. And that's a positive. They've got to clean up their play. And, and it's not just Wake Forest, right? Uh, they could have performed better versus Hawaii. They could have performed better versus Alabama a and I don't think the sky's falling. You got out of the first three games at 2-1. and one, And if you can get UNLV, you're 3-1. and one, And the stated goal of postseason play is, is very much within your grasp. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, what's interesting is, is some of the mistakes, like the penalties, aren't quite as um, out of whack as you might think. Like Vanderbilt finished last season 45 yards per game in penalties. Through yeah, the it was game. a pretty clean game again against Wake. Right. It, it, it's it's through three games, it's 45 yards per game of penalties, which is on the better side of the ACC. It, it's just you can't have a bad snap in a goal line situation or a circumstantially. Third down circumstantially, yeah. uh, the moments perhaps have clipped them in ways that. Uh, that have slowed down the ability to accelerate toward either a big win or a close win versus Wake Forest. It's just the circumstantial stuff for sure. The momentary stuff, the big moment stuff has not been as clean as it needs to be. Hear me out on this. And and I mentioned this to Joey in our postgame show right after the game. I talked about, you know, the 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 immaturity of the program, not in a, in a super negative way, just, you know, still getting acquainted with the process of winning and what it takes 
you know, to win, go on the road and beating a Wake Forest. You know, they have the talent. I agree with you. The the talent there was not a talent mismatch at all. You saw that in the first quarter, especially Vanderbilt. You know, they went toe to toe back and forth, and you thought all of a sudden this might be a shootout. But Andrew, it feels like they almost, you know, they want it to happen so bad. They know it can happen, but they're not putting forth 100% of the effort that it requires, right? The little things, the small things, some of those sloppy mistakes, maybe a forced throw. Um, and those are things that are fixable and that they can do, right? And that could easily change with, with one opponent against UNLV. But it could also easily change if they, if they continue to do those, right? So the margins are still small. Um, would you agree that the program is still immature, but the the margin for error also allows them if they if they prevent those mistakes, they can go beat a Kentucky, a Missouri, an Auburn, a Florida. Would you agree there? I'm with you 100%. I think one of the things we've said on our radio broadcast, and not again to be derogatory, is that Wake Forest looked like a team that was in its 10th year yeah. of a program built with Dave Clawson and Vanderbilt's in its third year with Clark Lee. Clark has obviously done really significant things within the recruiting to elevate the talent. Uh, he's done really significant things to start to shift the way the mentality of the players are on a week-in, week-in basis, week-in, week-out basis. Um, and And... And I don't know that people want to hear it necessarily, right. but I will always think there is a truth in the understanding of how to win, right? When you get into a moment that is a difference maker, where is your heartbeat? Where is your belief? Where is your confidence? I think Clark is working very, very hard to instill a steady heartbeat, to instill a confidence where that they play to the best of their ability in those moments. But there is a difference in being able to know it because you've done it and trying to do it even though you haven't done it yet. And people might say, well, they did it versus Kentucky and they did it versus Florida a year ago. I would caution that even though that's recent memory, you still have a new blend of players this right. year. I don't care if it's 80, 90% the same. 10 to 20% different is still going to interact differently with the other 80 to 90% than the previous 100% did a year ago. I, they're, they're so close um, to clipping that tripwire where the confidence is real and genuine and exists every single time that they take the field on every single snap. But there is an understanding of how to win and, and, and the confidence that overtakes you within those moments, like a true, genuine, deep-seated belief that I've got it. We're going to win. And, you know, the Vanderbilt baseball program at the risk of comparison is at that point. Like those mm -hmm. guys right now, because of the jersey that they wear, because of the program that they're in over the course of two decades, can fall behind five runs in the first and come back and win. They did it versus South Carolina last year, right? Game two of that series, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the football program is very, very close to that tripwire. But, it's you can't skip steps on the ladder as much as people want it to happen. You just can't. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I, I think we're living through both the ebbs and flows of progress, which is not going to be consistently linear as much as we desire it to be. The circumstantial mistakes are interesting, right? And I, and I it was very obvious against Wake Forest, and I noticed it against Alabama A&M. 
right? The interception in the end zone from Swan where they could have created some separation there against Alabama A&M. They ended up doing that in the second half, of course, so it didn't matter, but it, it mattered against Wake, right? The, uh, the, the interception of the first possession, you know, Clark mentioned you don't want to be down, you know, uh, one possession to start the game. And then you saw his second interception as well. You saw the Shepard mistake. Those all three are circumstantially huge mistakes, right? If, you know, it would be different maybe if you have three mistakes like that and, you know, you're, you're, you're already in the opponent's territory and then you end up getting a stop, right? Okay, that's negated. But that hasn't necessarily happened, and it really showed against Wake Forest. How does that change? Like, obviously, you know, you know work, you, got, you try to prevent mistakes, but how have you seen that impact this team? Because, like I said, Alabama and m it wasn't a huge impact, but if they continue to make those, especially even against UNLV, Andrew, right? UNLV will take advantage of those, and this will be a competitive game. So just how have you seen that come into play so far? I'll start with this. First off, you you listed off a couple of mistakes by AJ, um, which are fair. Um, I think the best thing about AJ is despite some of that stuff, he remains a very confident quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. I don't see AJ's confidence within himself getting shaken. And I think that's significant uh, because it can be really easy as a young quarterback to make a couple of mistakes. And then all of a sudden you doubt yourself the next time you need to throw into tight coverage. I don't see AJ doubting himself. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of those other small examples too. I remember going back and, and watching and listening to some of the game and right before the punt that Will Shepard fumbled, Kane Patterson, Kane, yes, Kane, nearly had an interception, right? Like if he gets mm-hmm. two hands on that football, the punt doesn't happen, right? Mm. Uh, there's so many little things like that, which, um, look, it's life. Those are the mistakes you made. You lost the football game. You swallow the pill and you move on to the next football game. I don't know that it's necessarily um, impacted the team differently from a week to week perspective. Um, I I still think you've got a lot of very confident football players. Um, I I think we forget that sometimes, right? That these guys are 18 and 19 years old and they have often been uber successful at the high school level and do come to college with a lot of confidence and humble confidence is significant. And I think most of these guys are generally speaking fairly humbly confident, which allows them to make the mistakes and then go back and watch film and be constructive within their criticism. So I I don't, I don't know if I've necessarily seen the circumstantial stuff um, impact the way this team goes out and practices on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Um, but I'm sure it's a focus of conversation in the meeting rooms. It's a time and score thing, right? It just, it just is. And if you're a little bit older, generally speaking, you see the 30,000 foot picture of a ball game a little bit better than if you're a freshman. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's still some younger guys out there, um, that will gain that experience. Um, and there, and there's some older guys too, that need to perform better in moments. I I really, it's an interesting deal, right? I think we feel frustrated because most of what happened against Wake Forest was relatively self-inflicted from tackling mistakes, from missed opportunities with interceptions, 
uh, with pass interference penalties, um, with interceptions. I don't inherently think that all of that stuff is a guarantee to carry week to week. Um, I, I, the stuff that's going to get you in trouble week to week is a talent gap. And right. I, I don't see the talent gap in the same way. That's a long way of saying that when the mistakes are what they are, they are more fixable. I'm not saying they're easy to fix, but they're more fixable than I just can't keep up with a guy that runs a four, three Right. So, um, I, I would like to see a larger sample size before I feel convicted that there's a huge issue with circumstantial mistakes. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see a couple of games go by and add data points. I, I mean, I get AJ through an interception versus Alabama a and M I, I get it. Um, but I, I still think the season is relatively young. Um, to be overly convicted that there's a gigantic issue with self-inflicted mistakes. They had a bad day penalty wise versus Hawaii. The past two games have been significantly better. You know, third and 19 has to be a get off the field situation. And they didn't with a penalty. I get it. It's not going to be perfect, uh, but we'll see. Uh, I'm curious to see the UNLV game. I expect them psychologically anyway, to bounce back. Defensively, Andrew, uh... You know, obviously the the secondary against Wake Forest, you know, they weren't attacked in the way they were a year ago uh, because of Vanderbilt's you know, scheme defensively against the Deeks. You know, it allowed Wake Forest to you know, run the ball, and that's what they did, right? Um, you know, you saw some arm tackling, you saw some, you know, some some PI penalties that were huge. You mentioned the third and nineteen. Um, you know, saw some first half, right? B.J. Anderson w- was picked on, and you saw you've seen that at times. Right. So let's go to cornerback specifically. Um, what have you seen at that spot? You've seen Martel Height get in there. You've seen um, Trudeau Berry get in there as well. They've mixed and matched. Um, how do you see that position impacting them throughout the season? And how do they negate um, some of the early struggles here in, through, through uh, three games? Not to completely misdirect from the secondary. But I think the design, I don't want to speak too much for Clark or speak too much for Nick Howell, but I think what we went into the season understanding is um, for the defense to perform at its best, it would have to be disruptive in the backfield. Pass rush, yep. Right. And I think one of the things that we felt was this team could be more disruptive in the backfield. Uh, I think they have been disruptive, but perhaps not at the level that they need to be. Now, some of that is, um, as we learned with the baseball team a season ago, you have depth in this game right up until the moment when you don't, right? We thought we had pitching depth. Bang, bang, bang. Now yeah. we don't Now we don't have pitching depth. Uh, we thought we had defensive line depth. Bang, Christian James is out. Uh, bang, Darren Agu dislocates his elbow. Uh, bang, Linus Zunk goes out for a game after performing fairly well versus Hawaii. Um, so I, I think some of the optimism that we had for the defensive line to assist with the secondary and specifically on the perimeter um, got clipped early in the season. So um, with Darren coming back, with Linus Zunk coming back, and hopefully we get Christian James uh, sooner rather than later, and hopefully of the growth of a BJ Diacate 
or a Jeffrey Hugo who missed some time but can kind of get after the quarterback in the same way that C.J. Taylor can get after the quarterback. With some of these guys getting more reps and getting healthy, hopefully that allows them to be more disruptive with the quarterback. And, and again, I think they have been more disruptive with the quarterback and the design of Nick Howell's defense is to do that. I mean, the, the design of the defense is to unleash C.J. Taylor in the backfield, and he did, right? He destroyed mm -hmm. Mitch Griffiths. Uh, on one play versus Wake Forest. So you can't all of a sudden turn somebody for Vanderbilt into Darrell Rivas. And I don't think anybody is expecting that or asking them to do those things. Uh, I do think that you're asking them to play fundamentally sound football and have their footwork down and have their eyes in the right place and all of that sort of stuff, which, which BJ can do. I know a lot of it is placed on BJ, right? Martel Heights been picked on a couple of times because he's mm -hmm. still a freshman too, guys. Yeah. Um, uh, Tyson Russell has been picked on at times too. I saw that versus Hawaii. Um, you know, it was interesting. Um, I remember talking with some people in fall camp and he's not there yet. BJ is still relatively by everybody else's standards young to the game of football. Like he got started a little bit late, I think. And there was some kind of optimism that if he had a good season, he's got the physical traits where the, the pro scouts might take a chance on him. He's still working through the fundamental stuff or, or, or I don't want to say the fundamental stuff, the consistency stuff. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I, I don't, you're not going to all of a sudden make a Martell height right now, a first round top 10 overall cornerback as a freshman. He might get there, but he's not there yet. Uh, and, and BJ should get better as the season goes along and they should design in ways to help those, those players. And, and, and the safeties are still good. I mean, like Savion Riley's had a really nice season to start mm -hmm. off. Uh, Dericky Wright obviously banged up, but two interceptions versus Hawaii. And, and we know what Mahoney can do. So I don't think they're completely void of talent in the secondary. I, I the defense will out of necessity have to play together at all three levels. It has to, like it just, it has to, uh, they got to get pressure and hold their run gaps up front. Linebackers have to make tackles at the point of attack. Like Langston Patterson has been very, very good, but I, I, I would hunch there are times you could go through the, the film and mm -hmm. he fits the wrong gap or whatever it is. Right. Uh, because he's a so sophomore, he's a sophomore playing yes. his, his most significant <laughs> snaps ever. Um, it, it's just a defense that more talented, <coughs> more talented is still by design going to have to complement itself. That's all. Andrew, let's get into the matchup. Vanderbilt, UNLV, 6 o'clock Saturday night in Vegas. Just the second meeting all time between these two teams. It didn't go well last <laughs> time uh, UNLV and Vanderbilt met. It was 34-10 to 10 back in 2019. I'm sure that, uh, that has been mentioned throughout the week. Um, last week, UNLV coming off a tough loss. They were in the big house against Michigan. You can't really take much. It's hard to take much from their season. They played Bryant's a team, I think, as an FCS team, yep. and then the Michigan. So <laughs> you get both sides of the spectrum there. You uh, bet. So it's hard to evaluate UNLV, but big quarterback, right? Uh, inside zone, gap scheme type stuff that Clark Lee talked about. What do you expect from the running Rebels? I feel like it's, it's a little bit of a mystery here. Uh, it's probably hard for you as well, you and your crew, to, to evaluate them. What have you seen from them? What do you expect? And then in this matchup, um, what are what are the keys here? I, I think tackling is the key. Um, 
in part because of how they run their offense. They call it the go-go offense. Yeah, um, I heard that. Which is interesting. Um, it's it's not really uh, go-go because they're going to run a bunch of fly routes or they're constantly up tempo or whatever. I guess there's some throwback to like when when the uh, offensive coordinator was the OC at Howard and some player was referencing go-go music or something like that. I don't know. So there's some <laughs> weird tie there. It's fine. Um, they call it, or he has called it like the modern homage to the triple option um it's going to put the quarterback in the shotgun it's going to still take uh have two running backs not a running back and a fullback not like an a back and a b back uh it's going to have two running backs in the backfield and, and they're going to do some basically triple triple option type stuff um which is going to go back to the linebackers and cj taylor and whoever is up in the box making the tackle at the point of attack i mean the wake forest game is completely different if they if they make the tackle at the point of attack more often than not. Um, I think, I think the talent level should be uh, lower than Wake Forest, which hopefully will allow the defense to, to use its own skills to make the play. All right. The other side of that is if the offense can have a quick start and get out in front by a touchdown or two, you're going to force UNLV to throw the football and that's not their strength. Um, their quarterback Brumfield seems like he's an adequate passer. Um, but at the risk of a crude metaphor, he, he kind of strikes me a little Mike Wright ish, incredibly athletic, good runner can throw the football, but he's going to have his moments of inaccuracy. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you are dependent on Brumfield, um, being a true pocket passer, that's going to be a problem for UNLV. So Vanderbilt can, can force that in two ways, which is one slowing down the run game by being really good at tackling. Uh, or or two, having the offense get out in front with a couple of touchdowns early uh, and, and forcing them to throw the football. So th those strike me as the most um, significant elements within the ballgame. Andrew Allegretta, the play-by-play uh, -play voice for Vanderbilt football. You can hear him. Uh, coverage start 4.30 Central? Uh, Central time, yep, sure does. 4.30 Central time for the pregame show with Norman Jordan and Kevin Ingram. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. Watch out for Kev on the strip. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, um, congratulations to Kev. Uh, he's not yes. flying out with the team. He's being inducted Friday night into his high school's hall of fame, richly deserved, um, awesome. bowling, bowling green high school hall of fame. Um, having said that he's flying out very, very early Saturday, which will put him, uh, in Las Vegas, I think at like eight or nine. So, you know, if there's if that if there's ever a true deviant, right, that could do damage on Las Vegas's strip in a couple of hours before kickoff, it sure is Kevin Ingram, huh? Oh, no doubt. hundred percent. hundred percent. I told him just I, I told him post up, uh, find a good spot, watch some football, have some lunch and we'll see you at the big Roomba at like noon or so. <laughs> I, I i told uh i told clark to uh take it easy on the poker tables he said that's you, you don't you don't have to worry about that for me so yeah we're staying um, we're staying in henderson which is about 20 to 25 minutes outside the city which um i would say is by design yes smart very smart andrew thanks appreciate it thanks man I'm now happy to be joined by Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback from 2009 to 2013. He's also the color analyst on the UNLV Sports Network presented by Learfield. Caleb, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Um, let's start with the running Rebels this year and, and what you've seen. Obviously, you were a quarterback not too long ago, so you know, you're familiar with, with that area and a lot of the talent that comes out of that area. So what, what have you seen this year so far overall from the running Rebels? 
Uh, what are the things they've done well? What What are some of the other things they they, they probably got to clean up before this Vanderbilt matchup? Well, I think they've done a good job of of getting speed. I think on the edges and uh, in certain positions, especially in the backfield, they've gotten speed and athleticism. Um, guys that are uniquely fitted for a new offensive system. So um, they've done a good job of matching the personnel to what they want to be objectively as an offense. Um, same thing on the defensive side of the ball. I think the priority has been to make the team faster overall. And that's what I've seen from this bunch. Uh, a young bunch in the sense that they haven't been together for a long time. And that's pretty much the story throughout college football with the transfer portal and things like that. Roster turnover has been a crazy phenomenon, right? And uh, UNLV is no exception. They've had 40-plus players that have come into the program as new players, and a lot of them have become instant contributors so far early in the season. So uh, you see a, a lot of speed. That would be, the, I guess, the priority there. Um, one of the things that needs to be cleaned up, which is probably the story throughout UNLV history, is the depth. Um, anytime they get their depth challenged, uh, that has been a struggle. But Coach Barry Odom, in his first year as a head coach, has done a great job addressing that issue by getting guys ready to play. And he's coached guys up to be ready to play and fill in and reserve duty should they need to. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what you've seen from the team so far. We haven't really had a chance to really get a, a good barometer of what this team is yet, with the first two opponents being somewhat lopsided, going up against you know Bryant University and then against Michigan. Those are two samples that you don't really get a good feel of exactly who you are. Right. This week against Vanderbilt, uh, the team's looking to really find their identity against a team that's more like opponent like and uh the measuring stick i guess is a little bit more even i saw where quarterback uh, doug brumfield is six foot six so uh, obviously a big kid athletic guy uh, strong arm what have you seen so far from him and and how how dangerous potentially do you think he could be uh, potentially against a vanderbilt defense that that has struggled yeah, it struggled for sure. And I think uh, the thing about Doug is, you know, he came, he's 6'6 now. He came into the program at 6'5. So he's still growing. He's been growing still for the last two seasons. Um, and now he's finally starting to add some weight to his frame. So that's good as far as him being able to stay healthy and take some punishment. But he's a dual athlete. He's a quarterback that can run it. He can tuck it and make plays with his legs. He put that on display last season in a game he had 200 yards passing and 100 yard rushing. Um, so he, he's definitely dynamic as a quarterback. This season so far, he's struggled out of the gates a little bit, to be honest. I think he's trying to find his stride in a new offensive system, um, but he has yet to put out a performance that's as efficient and as explosive as we're accustomed to seeing from him in the past seasons. But um, he's laying in wait, I'd say. He's laying in wait for that big one to break and um, to really show what he's capable of doing. But a dual-threat quarterback that, that has a lot of tools in the tool belt, um, if he can put him on display on Saturday, that'd be, that'd be nice for Rebel fans. All right, Coach Barry Odom, uh, former coach at Missouri, very familiar with this Vanderbilt program. He's 3-1 and one against the Commodores in his career. Uh, he faced them each of uh, his three seasons uh, there at Missouri. Obviously a, a phenomenal defensive mind. I talked to Coach Lee earlier this week, and you know he had a ton of respect for, for Barry Odom and what he's done in his career. So uh, for Coach Barry Odom, what, what kind of – I mean, is that an added advantage potentially for him and his staff to, to, to be familiar? I know it's a different – uh, staff than than was previously at there at Vanderbilt under Coach Mason, but um, just just playing an SEC team, be, being familiar, um, you got to believe that that helps the the Rebels. It does. I think just the overall feel of SEC football, regardless of who it is, there's a brand that's associated with that uh, Southern Athletic Conference. So it, it's like it's one of those things where the experience, yes, it's a different team, a different roster, maybe against a different coach, but. The brand of football, I think, in the SEC is pretty consistent. And having gone up against that, having coached in it and played that style for so long, um, his time in Missouri, his time at Arkansas, 
obviously I think that will play some benefits for him. And he's mentioned before that he has some familiarity with the program and, and how the university kind of operates. But um, again, that's a new challenge. It's a different team. And he's going into this understanding that he doesn't have an SEC football team. Right? UNLV is not a member of the SEC, nor have they ever been. And uh, it's a different brand of football. Sometimes it's interesting when the brands, you know, like the West Coast style of offense versus the, the SEC style, when they clash and it, kind of a battle of different systems and mindsets. But Coach Odom definitely brings an old school, I guess, SEC flair, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But that attitude and that mindset, I think, transitions throughout the football team. And everybody kind of understands and is on that same page. They, they want to play fast. They want to be physical and they want to be smart. And that's that's pretty much his brand of football. Um, hopefully the Rebels can take that into the stadium and and hopefully it matches well against what Vanderbilt has to bring in their new team and their new made up roster. The teams actually have met before UNLV and Vanderbilt in the past. And fortunately for the Rebel fans, UNLV came out on top that time. So maybe some payback in mind uh, for the Commodores. But uh, it's definitely one of those things that the experience of playing an SEC team does matter in the long run. All right, Caleb, let's get into the weeds here. Let, let's start on the offensive side. Uh, Barry Odom, of course, is 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 more of a defensive guy, but you know we just talked about Doug Brumfield and, and what he is potentially capable of. Uh, I think that is something that potentially concerns Vanderbilt fans, uh, especially coming into this matchup. But specifically offensively, what is UNLV trying to get accomplished? I know it's tough to 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 tell here through two weeks. You only have two matchups that were both lopsided, but uh, from what you can see, uh, what what is their goal offensively? I think their goal is to be explosive and that that comes you know with the defensive coach as the head coach you would be shocked to hear that right they'd, they'd probably be risk averse and not want to take risk and just protect the ball run it and all those good things um and win the game with defense but that's not the case if you look back at coach odom's history he had a really explosive offense in missouri and they put mm -hmm. up 30 points a game um so he knows and understands how the game has changed and how offense is a priority um and then with offensive coordinator brendan marion who's in his first year as well with unlv He's brought one of the more unique offensive systems in what's called the go-go offense. And it's one of those offenses that is looking to create explosion, whether it's on the run or through the air. And that's that's one of the unique things about it. It doesn't matter who touches the ball, who gets the call, which type of play is called. There's potential for explosive plays uh, all throughout the offense. And you're right. We haven't seen exactly what it's capable of. I know I've watched the team in practice and I've, I've tried to pick it apart and it's a unique system to me as well. So there's times where I'm a little bit lost out there, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that you see the potential for explosion and they've yet to really unleash the offense. I know they had a, a big rushing game in the first game of the season and obviously going against Michigan, you're not going to have those kind of explosive run plays, um, but they look to be explosive. They look to be explosive and, and take advantage of whatever the defense gives them in a multitude of ways and with a variety of different players. It's not just a one man show. It's, Anybody at any time could take it a distance. All right, defensively, obviously played well against Bryant, uh, Michigan. You know, you're in the big house. I mean, let, let's 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 uh, let's give give him some slack there. But I mean, 35-7. A lot of teams might have given up. You know, 45, 50, 55, something like that. So I mean, to go into the big house and 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 only only allow 35, you know, isn't terrible. So. For you defensively, Caleb, what 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 are they trying to do defensively? Are, are they more of an attacking style defense or a defense that that is going to try to limit the big plays? I think they do philo philosophically. Their aim is to do both, right? And that's a tall ask to to, to create disruption <laughs> and chaos, but and then also not give up big plays. Um, but that's what they're trying to do. And I think I mentioned it before that speed was their priority, and I think they want to do that by having speed all over the field and. 
Um, it's one of those defenses that is unconventional in the way that they control gaps in the run game. Um, and it's also unconventional with the amount of speedy guys or defensive backs they have on the field. They, they could have five to six guys who are considered defensive backs by build uh, on the field at any given time. So they want to be fast and with that speed, create chaos. And uh, if that leads to limited big plays, they're happy with that. If that leads to guys getting in the backfield, making negative plays and creating chaos for the offense. That's also a part of the plan. So it's again, variety is the spice of life with UNLV and speed is a priority. So that's what they aim to do. They want to be a fast defense, also physical, also disciplined. But I think speed is the priority and they recruited to that and, and they played as fast uh, in their first two games. And obviously the Michigan side of things was was a little bit tough, but the Bryant offense is actually an explosive one. They had a quarterback that passed for 3000 yards previous season and 26 touchdowns and they held them to zero through three and a half quarters so it was a really good showing for the defense things to clean up obviously and again a, a better barometer of exactly how good or what their potential is against Vanderbilt and they, they feel like it's a more evenly matched game um, where it's not lopsided in either direction so they can actually get a sense of who they are and what their identity will be for the remainder of the season. We talked about Brumfield and obviously he's the quarterback he's the most important position on the field as you know uh, of course Give me a couple other guys, maybe one on offense and one on defense that that Vanderbilt fans should keep an eye on and 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 might have an impact on this game on Saturday. I think one of the guys uh, is somebody that is familiar to college football and Ricky White. And we talked about him all week last week because he had a really explosive game. He's a transfer from Michigan State. The last time he played Michigan, he had 200 yards receiving in that game against Michigan. So he's an explosive mm. player who hasn't really come out of his shell yet this season. And he's a at receiver. He's really explosive and dynamic um, in the way that he can hurt you. So he's a name that I think uh, Vanderbilt fans should be aware of, and they could probably look to see some some big things from him. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, Jare Williams is one of the guys who's who's a, an all-around athlete. He's a beast. He's, he plays at all three levels, and he's a jack-of-all-trades for the defense, and he plays multiple different positions. It's hard to get a beat on where he is on the field. Um, but he's explosive and he makes great plays and he loves the game of football. He's one of my favorite guys to talk to on the team because his passion for the game, he's a former walk-on, overlooked out of high school, and he's proven now to three different coaching staffs that he's worthy of playing time. And Everybody on this team raves about him, coaches included, about his talent and his ability to affect the game. And Jerry Williams on the defensive side is, is one of those guys that you're going to hear his name called a lot. All right, let's get into the matchup, this specific matchup. Looking forward to it. Saturday night, 6 o'clock. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network. Um, obviously, at Allegiant Stadium, indoor. I think Vanderbilt fans are excited for no weather delays, hopefully. Uh, they, they've already had two this year. I don't know if UNLV has, but uh, Caleb, give me a couple of keys for either team. I like to ask you know, the expert of the opponent uh, if if this for for UNLV to win, this has to happen. And then on the other side, for Vanderbilt to win, this has to happen. So uh, kind of give me some of those keys and 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 what you think uh, might ultimately win this game. Well, I think the key for UNLV is something that Coach Odom has said all season long and all throughout the offseason is controlling the trenches. And that's on both sides of the ball, running it and stopping the run. Um, the ability to dominate in the trenches, I think, opens up so much for UNLV. If they can do that, they have a chance against just about anybody. I think they have a lot of faith in their skill position guys on the edges to make plays or prevent plays. There's a lot of athleticism and speed, like I mentioned, on both sides of the ball. So they feel like they have a chance. It's the trenches. And that's the story in college football. If you have a team that can dominate the run game on both sides of the ball, you have a chance. And I know that SEC's brand of football, that's important as well. Although this Vanderbilt team is kind of built differently than a lot of SEC teams in that 
they have a quarterback that they really trust and that they really rely on. If he struggles, the team struggles. If he goes, as we've seen at times in the season so far from Vanderbilt, they're a very explosive team, putting up 30-plus points a game. And it's, it's one of those things that you're wary of, and especially when you have a talented wide receiver who has six touchdowns already early in the season. That's something that definitely has Coach Odom's ears perked up. So containing the explosive plays on that front, but also establishing and controlling the run game, that's priority number one, and it will be for the remainder of the season for UNLV. If they can run the ball, they have a chance, they feel, against just about anybody they play for the rest of the year. All right, last thing here, Kalo, and again, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I know you're busy. Uh, there are some fans from Nashville headed over to Vegas. I'm not. Unfortunately, I wish I was. Uh, not not quite the funds for that yet, but uh, give me an idea of, of, of an atmosphere we could expect. Um, what's it like playing in Allegiant Stadium? I, like I said, Vanderbilt players are probably excited to be playing indoor, not have to worry about any sort of delay. So just sort of give me an idea of, of Allegiant Stadium, uh, you know, what you're familiar with with it and and uh, maybe what fans that, that are headed to the game can expect. It's a it's a once-in-a-lifetime venue. It's one of the newer stadiums in all of football, obviously, mm-hmm. in Allegiant Stadium and a professional environment. And some of the things that are featured in the stadium are, are top-tier, top-of-the-line things that the Rebels are fortunate enough to be able to call their home field. And Obviously, coming from the big house and, and seeing that atmosphere and the 109,000 fans is, is one thing. And obviously, a different level of college football played there. But UNLV is a budding fan base that has a, a it's on the cusp of peaking the interest. The, the, the sports marketing in Las Vegas has blown up with the Raiders and the Aces and the Golden Knights and things like that. So sports are a priority. And UNLV is right on the cusp of getting in on that action, I should say. And they, they're, they're looking to pack out the stadium. It's been better. Attendance has been... Uh, steadily increasing, and I think the excitement and the buzz that Coach Odom has created is is definitely driving attendance in the right direction. Um, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime venue. Everybody that we've played so far at Allegiant Stadium has lamented the fact that it's a gorgeous stadium to play in. Somewhat breathtaking. Obviously, it's, it's an NFL-caliber stadium. And then in Las Vegas, the setting and the backdrop of the Las Vegas Strip is, is, is once-in-a-lifetime. You can't get it anywhere else. So it's a privilege for the Rebels to be able to call it home field, and hopefully the, the attendance and the crowd shows up and makes it a, a real home field advantage. Do they call it a translucent roof? Is is that the name uh, for the, because I mean, you can see over, but it, but it's closed, right? A lot of people think it's retractable, but, but it's really not, right? Yeah, it's not retractable. It, it, so it, it's translucent. There is light that comes through. It's, 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 it's a unique, it's one of the only ones, I believe it's the only one in the United States that has a roof that's built this way. And I and, think in Nashville, the Titans are, are wanting something very similar. Very similar, right? And it, it it obviously prevents that rain delays from from happening. But we did have it's Thank funny goodness. that you say that we had we had a monsoon come through last and in, in the first week in the <laughs> opener, and there was a slight leak in the in the in the roof, and they uh, <laughs> okay. there was a, a small weather delay. I think it was like five minutes that the refs were like, "What's going on here?" And it was like it's just a couple drops of rain, no big deal, and play resumed. But it's it's a unique stadium, and and it's one thing that you have to see from the inside. It's it's gorgeous on the inside and the out, and the Rebels are fortunate to have it for home field. Well, if a water leak would happen to any team, it would happen to this Vanderbilt team. They've already had two uh, uh, rain and lightning delays this year. Hopefully, hopefully there's none in Vegas. Uh, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback from 2009 to 2013. You can hear him on the UNLV Sports uh, Network as the color analyst. Caleb, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Not a problem, man. Go Rebels.